Is Christianity a mere comic book tale? What do the New Testament creeds tell us about the early apostolic message, which in turn tells us about the historical Jesus? Find out on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast as we talk about New Testament creeds and also respond to some uh, objections we received some, from some skeptics at bellatorchristie.com. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of uh, Christian apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host for the time we have together, yours truly, Brian Chilton. I just want to make a note uh, that uh, the podcast can be found on several different apps, but I do have a correction to make uh, for you. Uh, we uh, the, the podcast is on uh, iHeartRadio, but unfortunately... It is, uh, it is tagged with the old RSS feed uh, back in the Blog Talk radio days. So I'm working with iHeartRadio to try to get that fixed to get it to the new podcast. So uh, you may not be uh, able to catch the updated edition of the Bellator Christie podcast on iHeartRadio just yet. But be patient. Uh, it's in the works, and I think uh, hopefully, God willing, uh, we'll see that uh taking place or or on the updated version of the Bellator Christie podcast on iHeartRadio. The podcast is also found on Stitcher, Google Play, and uh, it is also on iTunes, but my understanding is that iTunes is changing the format uh, that they've had, so um, that's going to be another area I'm going to have to investigate to see what happens with that. I, I believe it should still go to the podcasting um, uh, app that they have through iTunes, but I haven't heard all the, the um, information on that. Uh, but uh, as soon as I find out, I'll give you the information. I'll give you more information as it becomes available to me. Uh, do want to thank you for joining us. The podcast hasn't been on here in a week or so, and uh, one of the reasons being um, is that uh, I had uh, a couple of funerals last week uh, to perform. And uh, and then the week before that, I was uh, busy with the uh, New Testament creeds class with Dr. Gary Habermas, and I have to say that um, this class is was was greatly beneficial. This is the third time I've had the opportunity to have Dr. Habermas as a professor. He's just a great guy, uh, really great guy. He is a world renowned. Um, expert on the resurrection of Jesus and uh, near-death experiences, and just just brings a lot to the table with every single class uh, that he teaches. So uh, I've been blessed to have him, one of my apologetic heroes. He is, and um, and so I want to share with you some information I learned about the New Testament creeds. In fact, what I'm going to be uh, presenting to you today is a presentation I provided in the class. Uh, for the New Testament creeds, and and I want to um, because this if this information is very important to me because the New Testament creeds. Now we're not talking about when we talk about New Testament creeds, we're not talking about like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or or anything like that. We're talking about early material uh, that predates the writings of the New Testament itself. This this is material that really goes back to the oral traditions that were being passed along formulations uh, that were so structured uh, that uh, they were easily memorized. And so uh, th- this actually, and what I learned uh, is that this is part of a larger body. The creeds are the formal presentation of a larger body known as the homologia, the early message of the church. And uh, so this is very fascinating information. And so today what I'd like to share with you in the presentation is uh, how Christianity is not a mere comic book tale. And hence what I'm trying to say is that there have been many programs like uh, PBS's uh, show back in the 90s 
um, from from the Jesus of history to the Christ of faith. And the Jesus Seminar, many other places, uh, many other organizations that would say that the high uh, view of Jesus was something that developed, uh, that was a product of evolutionary develop over, development over time. And what I want, to, what the creeds show is that the information that was being preached very early on was the highest Christology and, in fact, information that lets us know about the core essentials of Jesus of Nazareth. To the level and degree, after studying this information, and I'm getting ready to write some papers uh, on this issue for, for the course, but the information I've already read and I've already seen thus far has indicated that we can already know the core essentials of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Even if we didn't have the New Testament itself, even if we didn't have the Gospels, this early new, this early creedal information would let us know everything sufficient about what we needed to know about Jesus of Nazareth, who he was, what he did, and what he will do. Okay, so this is very important stuff. And the thing you have to understand is that this information dates early. I'm talking about ground zero. So let's go through this material uh, right now. So the question I'm asking in the presentation I presented and, and what I want to present to you on the podcast today is this. Is Christianity a mere comic book tale? And so what we want to provide is an evidentiary case that the creeds date back to the early apostolic message and which implies that the early apostolic message came from the very teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. So, first and foremost, uh, let, let's take a look at this. So, uh, we see here that um, the creeds were not, first of all, a late invention. Now, here's a here's a piece of information, and and one of the critics online came back to this, and I and I think he is highly misunderstanding the text. So I, I want to highlight this. This is Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 20, and I'm reading from the CSB. He says, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is of not of human origin. Okay, so, so now the critic, some critics will say, well, he is promoting something that came by special revelation. He is simply saying, well, let me just go on verse 12. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, all right, let's pause there. He is talking about the fact that he's seen the risen Jesus. Okay? He's seen the risen Jesus. It seems to imply that he even had a conversation with the risen Jesus. So he received this information from Christ. Now what he's doing here, and this is important to understand, especially for the critics that are out there that says that he is presenting some mystical information that he, that he get, was presented and not the early message of the church. That's just simply not true. He is defending his apostolic role because one of the things that was important for a person who claimed to be an apostle was that that person had seen the risen Jesus. Okay, So he goes on to say in verse 13, For you had heard about my former life, a uh, uh, way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who, was, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I could preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Okay, he didn't immediately consult with anyone, so he's received this information by divine revelation. He's he's defending his apostolic work, his role as an apostle, because he had seen the risen Jesus. Verse seventeen: I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then, after three years, now here's the text that we need to focus on. After three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. Now, here is an ancient text here because he's using the he, he is using the name uh, the Aramaic name for Peter, which is Cephas, to know Cephas, and I stayed with him fifteen days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of you, I am not lying in what I write to you. Okay, so yes, he received information by divine revelation. Okay, so what? He is defending he is defending the apostolic work that he is doing because it was a prerequisite for anyone who called himself an apostle that that person must have seen the risen Jesus. 
Okay, so he he's go he goes up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas and stay with him fifteen days. I didn't see any other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of you, I'm not lying what I write to you. Okay, so here is a very important passage of scripture. We see that Paul goes up to Galatians at this time. Uh, goes up to Galatians. And um, he goes on to say that after this, afterward I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown in the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. He preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. He's not preaching a faith that came from him. He is preaching the apostolic faith, and they glorified God because of me. What he is saying in this passage of Scripture, and this is and it's critical for us to understand this, is that he goes and checks the message with Cephas, which is Peter, and James to make sure that he's preaching the same message to make sure. And he, at this time, would have most certainly received the traditions. In fact, there's another, uh, there's another text, I think it's in even one of the pastorals, where it talks about uh, asking a person to bring the books with him, with them to to Pete to uh, Paul. So here again, it's very it, again. The, the traditions he's passing along is not the, the special revelation he has. What he is saying here is that the special revelation he received from Christ matches matches the identical traditions that were presented by the early church. Okay, so in presenting this information, he is saying that I have checked with Peter and James. This message I preach to you is the same message that is being preached among the early church. It's the same message that Peter was preaching. It's the same message that James, the Lord's brother, was preaching. Okay, so here again, I have a critic who was saying, well, the, the, the received material he, he's talking about came from his own special revelation. Absolutely not. He is talking about the generally understood apostolic message, the charisma of the early church, this material that he checked with, with James and Peter only, what was it, three years after he had received Christ as Savior. Okay, and depending on what you do with the timeline, if you say the year's 33, then that was the very same year that Jesus was crucified, died, and buried, resurrected that Paul came to faith. If you're saying, if you say that it's 30, then there were a couple years that uh, Paul was persecuting the church before he came to faith, and this would have been around 35 A.D. when he when he came to the church. So this is another important thing we need to look at here as well. So here's a timeline. We need to understand. We want to look at the time gap, the 20-year time gap between when Jesus was crucified and the time that we have the documents uh, within First uh, First Thessalonians, which is most likely the earliest, at 50 A.D., First Corinthians, 55 A.D., Galatians, if you accept Galatians, the early date, that's going to be a little bit earlier than this, around 48. If you take the later date, it'll be right along in the area of these uh, these first these early uh, first epistles of Paul. So 30-33 A.D., the, either one of these two years uh, is the time when Jesus died and, went and rose from the dead. During this time, you also see Paul persecutes the church. Paul encounters Jesus on the Damascus Road at some point in time uh, in, this, in this period. And so then you fast forward to 35 A.D., Paul meets the leaders at Jerusalem. He stays 15 days with them. He's checking his message He's checking his message. Again, he's checking his message, the message that he had been preaching, with the message of the early apostolic church. That is the message that Peter, uh, that Peter and James were preaching and the church of Jerusalem was preaching. He checked it with them. He most likely during this time as he was checking the material, this only makes sense that he would receive the early traditions, the hymns, the creeds, because they would they would check him, test him, make sure that he was up on the faith. And if he agreed with all of this, then yeah, they would put their seal of approval on Paul and say, go forth and preach to the Gentiles. Okay? Again, it's not difficult. Uh, I think sometimes we need, to, we need to be skeptical of our own skepticism when it goes too far. So again, you're taking a look at it for a few years. Okay, in 49 through 52 A.D., Paul is in uh, is on his second missionary journey. During this time, he visits Corinth 
in 51 and 52 or 51 to 52 AD. So that's another important time marker. He visits Corinth in 51 and 52 AD. So Paul found, founds this church during this time. Uh, he visits Corinth and you know and, and even in the Corinthian church he is defending his apostolic work because they ask, "Well, weren't you the persecutor of the church? How is it you're now an apostle?" Again, this is absolutely imperative for Paul to present to them the information that he received from the early church. That this information just did not magically appear to him um, by happenstance. Yes, he did see the risen Jesus. Yes, the risen Jesus did give him special revelation into the gospel message. But here again, he is presenting the material from the early church to Corinth. Now, in 50 to 55 AD, in 50 AD, 1 Thessalonians, you have some early creedal material in 1 Thessalonians. One of the things that's early creedal information is the uh, testimony we have in 1 Thessalonians pertaining to the return of Christ. There are some markers in uh, this text that indicates that uh, talking about the day of the Lord, uh, that is that is a marker there. Uh, but he says, uh, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, that you will not grieve, grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say to you, by a word from the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's actually early creedal material. That's actually early creedal material. In 1 Corinthians, you have two huge creeds, which is presented to uh, the, the Corinthians, written around 55 AD. This is material he presented to them earlier in around 51, 52 A.D., okay, so um, so it, first, uh, first Corinthians chapter 11, the Lord's Supper passage, First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 7, uh, the documentation of the eyewitnesses uh, that has structure in it that is very early and uh, that denotes that it is very early and that it did not originate with Paul. It originated with a common um, uh, creedal formulation. Okay, so you're talking about from from 30 to 50, you're talking about 20 years from Jesus. From 35 to 50, you're talking about 15 years' time between the time that Paul met with Peter and uh, James in Jerusalem, checking his message with the early apostolic church from the time that you have this creedal information. The time stamp on this is extremely extremely early and we must not miss that uh, it is it is of, of utmost importance historically to uh, note these things so creeds were not late inventions for instance there, there are markers within these creeds that denote the pre their presence one of the one of the ways we can check for uh, early creedal material is through Aramaisms early source material is found by the use of Aramaisms or that is Words or phrases that use Aramaic terms or expressions. While Jesus was most likely trilingual, speaking uh, Hebrew and, and Aramaic, the common language, which Aramaic and Hebrew were very similar, uh, he most likely spoke Greek as well. But Keener notes that in the Gospels, some have argued that the Aramaic original of as much as 80% of the synoptic sayings material appears to fit a poetic or rhythmic form helpful for memorization. This comes from the historical Jesus of the Gospels on page 158, in case you're interested in the reference. Here's the thing. The presence of Aramaic terms and expressions lets us know that the material was early because Jesus most likely preached from in Aramaic tongue most most of the time. Okay, because most of the people to whom he would have spoken would have spoken Aramaic. Okay, so in Galilee, uh, in Judea, Aramaic was the common language of the common people. Okay, so this if 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 you're in a Greek text and you have Aramaic material, that is a red flag that you're dealing with early material that did not originate with a person uh, who is presenting it. There's also, in the Greek text, there's also a marker called the triple kaihoti, uh, which the kaihoti in Greek means and that. Uh, 
For instance, in uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4, it says, uh, Paradoka, uh, I received, for what I received, uh, for what I received, I passed on to you, he says. For what I received, I passed on to you. Now, again, some people are saying, well, what he received, he's talking about that special revelation. No, he's talking about the material that he received because this material he's presenting is in a structural form that is creedal. It's creedal. It says, Hokai, Paralabon, for I passed on to you, Hoti Christos, that Christ, um, Apithanin, who to Hamartian, died for our sins, uh, for your sins, according to the scriptures. Kata tas grafas. And here, here's the Kai Hoti. Kai Hoti etafe. Okay. Kai Hoti egi, see, egi gertai ti himera ti trita trata. Uh, so in other words, what he's saying, so Jesus uh, died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that, Kaihoti, that he was buried, and that he arose on the third day according to the scriptures. Okay, notice, according to the scriptures, that's part of it, uh, he rose on the third day, okay, Kaihoti, Kaihoti, and then again, Kaihoti, uh, then that he... Uh, um, uh, Hophi, Hophi, oh, see, Hophi was seen by Sifa, Peter, uh, and then uh, Aita, Tois, Dodeca, uh, and the Twelve. Okay, so you see the triple Kaihoti in that passage of Scripture. I wish I could show this to you so you could see it because I have it highlighted here. But the triple Kaihoti, that's part of the structure. Okay, this structure is not only seen in Petron and in Pauline material, it's seen in non-Pauline material across the New Testament. This triple Kaihoti is seen in Petron material in the sermon summaries. It's seen in other documents uh, in the New Testament that does not originate from Paul. So this is this is an indicator, a clear indicator that what Paul is presenting to the Corinthian church was information that he received from the early church. The triple Kaihoti is a factor that must be considered. Okay, so you also have rabbinic terms. These are rabbinic terms that are being described. Received, passed on. For what I received, I passed on to you. These are rabbinic terms which came from um, the, the pharisaical practice of passing along traditions to future generations. And so we even see in the book of Josephus, uh, the book of Antiquities written by Josephus, that the Pharisees had delivered to the people a great many observances by succession from their fathers, which are not written in the laws of Moses. And for that reason, it is the Sadducees that the, the Sadducees reject them. Uh, but um, they only they only pass along what's in the written word, but are not to observe what are derived from the tradition of our forefathers. But he goes on to say, but the Pharisees had the multitude on their side. So they passed along the traditions orally along with the written material. So this practice of the early church matches what you would find with the Pharisees. And then also the focus on the gospel message. These creeds, a lot of times, in addition to the triple Kaihoti, to the rabbinic terms, to the Aramaisms, they're focusing on the core essence, the core essentials of the gospel message. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. That's the simple message of the gospel. Okay, And so part of this, the creeds did not originate from mythological ideas. The homologia is the common message of the early church. And you see this homologia not only in the letters of Paul, the creedal material, uh, Newfield calls this uh, this term homologane, a word group which suggests the presence of a formula of a charismatic, uh, didactic, or confessional nature. Okay, so this, there is a structure to this. Okay, so it goes deeper just reading that what, what I received. You take a look at the structure of what he's passing along, and that's evidence of creedal material. In the Johannine literature, you see the words, uh, as Newfield says, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Christ coming to flesh. These are markers of early material. In the Synoptic Gospels, you have Christological statements, confessions, accusations against Jesus, which are markers, I think, the Son of Man statements. Are, are markers of early material. Pastorals, you see the sayings, doctrines, and hymns. In Hebrews, you see the markers of to hold fast, 
uh, to the confessions, uh, to hold fast to the things that have been presented. And then in First Peter, you have formula uh, formulae surrounding the death and resurrection of Jesus. So you basically have these this information in every book of the New Testament. With the exception, ironically, with the exception in the book of Revelation, uh, because the book of Revelation is not looking back to the past, it's looking forward to the future. Now, there's also a similarity you can see in these different uh, these different sermon summaries. For instance, sermon summaries and uh, this different creedal materials, what I'm trying to say. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7, now, now catch this. Paul says, for, what I, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received. What I also received from the early church, that Christ, note this, died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas and the Twelve, He appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, He appeared to, to uh, one born out of, out of, at the wrong time. He also appeared to me. Okay, that's the creedal material you see in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7. Now, catch this sermon summary, which is early in Acts 13, 29-32. When they had carried out all that had been written about him, Paul says, they took him down from the tree, matching where he died for his sins, put him in a tomb. Okay, you can see that the presence of the empty tomb there as well. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news uh, of the promise that was made to our ancestors. Catch the rhythmic pattern between the 1 Corinthians 15 and Acts 13. This is also found in an early creedal material uh, found in a Petrine source. Peter's summon summary. Sermon summary says this in Acts 3, 13-15, primarily in verse 15. You killed the source of life, that's the death, whom God raised from the dead, that's the resurrection. We are witnesses of this. Okay, so again, Jesus died, buried, resurrected. Early material, early material. And, and the rhythmic pattern that you find to this material is an indicator that this is early. And this only stands direct. This only stands to. Uh, this only makes sense because in Hebrew poetic literature, you find rhythmic material, in, especially in the Psalms and other poetic literature. You find rhythmic material that helps you understand or helps you memorize the material at hand. If we think about this, this only makes sense. Um, again, like the song "Amazing Grace," how sweet the sound. Uh, you know, you, you could probably go ahead and, and, and complete that hymn in your mind already. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm uh, was once was lost, but now I'm found, found. But that was blind, but now I see. That easily comes because it has a rhythmic pattern to it, and because you repeat it, you know, many times over. So again, um, these early creeds have a formulation to them. It's not just merely. Well, I, I'm just going to pick and choose what I think is early. There, there's a pattern to it, the, the, and the pattern goes even into the original languages. So these creeds are, are unique. They're not based on seasonal changes or bodily uh, seasonal changes, as like you would see with the Baal myth uh, or incantations or rituals, like you would have seen with um, some other, like the cult of Heracles. They're based on the bodily resurrection of Jesus as brought forth by no human intervention, uh, but only the work of God, as you see in another early hymn, Philippians 2, 9. And one would say, well, what about the Hebrew expectation? What about the Jewish anticipation? Well, they were all over the place in what they anticipated for a, for a Messiah. The Qumran, in Qumran, the Essenes thought that there would be two uh, two uh, messiahs, one messiah ben Joseph and one messiah ben David. Uh, others anticipated a military leader like Judas Maccabeus. You can see that in Matthew twenty six fifty one, John eleven sixteen. You know, um, you know, in in if you take a look at the copycat gospels, that's where you see the comic book tales. You see a talking cross in the Gospel of Peter. And then in uh, the Gospel of Thomas, which has gained a lot of popularity among uh, many uh, in today's time, actually has a strange verse in it. And this is not discussed. This is very interesting. Verse 114 in the Gospel of Thomas says that for women to be saved, they have to first become a man to be saved. (laughs) 
So that that is that is not uh, that has no basis in the apostolic early apostolic teachings at all. So again, this this uh, if you look at the minimal facts, you can see that uh, that the core details of Jesus' life was that he died by crucifixion. The disciples had experiences which led them to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. This message was early. Uh, they were willing to die for what they knew to be true. James and Paul were transformed by the message. I think you also can add to that uh, that there was an empty tomb, and then the message began in Jerusalem and uh, in the very place where Jesus was crucified. So again, the, the, um, <laughs> the idea that this material is is a late development over time is just hogwash, quite frankly. Um, you look for eyewitness testimony, and you know, there are 500 witnesses. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives this early creed. He says that Jesus was seen of over 500 people. Some of them have died, but most of them are still alive. If you don't believe me, go check with them. Paul was very intelligent. He was a, he was a great apologist. The fact that you have women in the patriarchal society is, is evidence that the eyewitness testimony is legit. The Jerusalem factor, as I mentioned already, is, uh, it makes it legit. The fact that group hallucinations don't happen. A hallucination is an internal thing that happens within a person's mind. Now, you may, there may be an illusion or there can be a delusion, but not a hallucination. And the fact that you see people who were opponents of the gospel message transformed speaks very highly of the resurrection message. The fact is... Most people, when they're looking for a hero in ancient times, they're looking for the same type of hero that we look for today. Most archetypical heroes are warriors, brave and strong, who wage and fight war, who fight and wage war. In contrast, Jesus comes along, a man who was meek, mild, and humbly submitted himself to death on the cross and resurrected by the power of God. That does not match. So what we can find through all of this is the following. The creed's homologia of the Christian message is early. Paul collects the creed's homologia no later than 35 AD. The creedal material demonstrates an evidential pat pattern that is often discernible. The early message is connected with the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus as evidenced by the minimal facts, the minimal facts eyewitness testimony, and the, really the failure of naturalistic theories. There's no naturalistic theory that can support the data concerning the resurrection of Jesus. The suffering, dying, and rising Messiah does not match early mythologies nor the Jewish anticipations of the Messiah. Thus, the creed stem from the authentic teachings of the early church, which comes from Jesus himself, and are not late inventions based on a comic book tale. Therefore, quite frankly, Jesus is really the only superhero that exists. And that's just the truth. He is, he is the real deal. He is a genuine article. So I'm going to take a brief break, and when we return, we're going to take a look at uh, the some, an objection I received from a skeptic. Uh, I want to take a look. I think most of what I have already presented probably, uh, I think most of what I presented already answers those questions, but I'm going to go through some of his, uh, his chief objection and uh, provide an answer, a brief answer, uh, again, because I think most of this material has already answered uh, most of the objections already. You're listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. Frank, give us a four-point case for Christianity. Point one, does truth exist? Obviously, the Bible can't be true if there's no truth. Of course, if there is no truth, then any book written by an atheist can't be true either. So I think it's pretty obvious or pretty easy to say that truth does exist because if someone ever says to you there is no truth, you simply say, is that true? Is it true that there is no truth? Because if it's true that there is no truth, the claim there is no truth can't be true. But it claims to be true. So that's point one. What's point two? Point two is, does God exist? Because you can't have a word from God if there is no God. If there's no God, throw the Bible away and every other book that talks about God. But Bobby, I think there's very good evidence that there really is a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligence sustaining cause out there. And one piece of evidence for this being is that the universe exploded into being out of nothing. Once there was no space, once there was no matter, once there was no time, and then the entire space-time continuum leapt into existence out of nothing. Now, if that's the case, whatever caused space, matter, and time 
can't be made of space, matter, and time. In other words, the cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful to create the universe out of nothing, intelligent to do it in a fine-tuned way because the universe is fine-tuned as well, and also personal in order to choose to create because Impersonal forces can't choose to create anything, only a person can. So from the cosmological argument, just one argument alone with a little bit of fine-tuning in there, you've got a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, intelligent, personal creator. And you could get into a lot more evidence, sure, obviously. Absolutely. But what's the third point? Point three is are miracles possible? Because obviously the Bible can't be true if miracles are not possible. But I think there's very good evidence that miracles have occurred, and certainly the greatest miracle in the Bible has already occurred, and that is the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If that verse is true, every other verse is at least believable. What I just, I just went through some of the uh, evidence, or at least the argument for the first verse of the Bible being true. If that verse is true, then every other miracle claim in the Bible could be true. So when people tell me I don't believe in miracles, I normally say, look around, you're living in one. This universe is a miracle. So that's the third point. Okay, so let's wrap it up. What's the fourth point? The fourth point is after does truth exist, does God exist, and are miracles possible, is the question, do the New Testament documents tell us the truth about history? In other words, are the New Testament documents historically reliable? And I think there's a lot of great evidence that they are telling us the truth. One piece of evidence, certainly not exhaustive, doesn't prove the case completely, but one piece that I like to use is embarrassing testimony. For example, the New Testament documents are filled with embarrassing details that they never would have invented if they're making up the story. For example, the, the disciples run away at the crucifixion. Yeah. And who are the brave ones? The women. Now, the women are the brave ones. Is any man going to make that up? <laughs> I mean, the men wrote this document or these documents, and they're saying they were Mr. Sissy Pants, why the women went down and discovered the empty tomb? I don't think so. In fact, one lady came up to me once. She said, I know why. Uh, Jesus appeared to the women first. I said, why? And she said, because he wanted to get the story out. <laughs> I go, that is an excellent point. I had not thought of that. Now, there's other evidence, too. There's early testimony. There's uh, eyewitness testimony, embarrassing testimony I just mentioned. There's excruciating testimony. These guys died for what they said they saw. There's extra biblical testimony. Other writers talking about this. There is uh, also expected testimony that deals with Old Testament prophecy. All of these arguments are in the book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. Frank, thanks for coming on the Five Minute Apologist. The Five Minute Apologist. That was excellent, man. <laughs>
whom himself is part of the Jesus Seminar, who accept these early creeds. Okay, so just because you have somebody that doesn't agree with something or, or sees it in a different light doesn't mean that it's not true. When you have high, high scholarship as you have looking at this, guys who are very uh, knowledgeable in the original languages who say, look guys, we, we, have some, we have some things going on here in the original languages. We, we didn't pick up on this before. This rhythmic pattern, these Aramaisms and things of this nature. When, when you see things like this, you need to take note. Okay, so I'm just going to go through some of these objections. I want to just answer them very briefly. Um, the first point that uh, the skeptic makes is, first, Paul goes on to point out that some in the Corinthian church he founded denied the possibility of resurrection from the dead, verse 12. Makes you wonder what gospel Paul was preaching years prior. Can you imagine someone joining the Jehovah Witness movement and still believing the whole time the Trinity doctrine is biblical? <laughs> This first objection is nonsensical because, again, Paul is telling them, reminding them of what they had been taught previously. They, the reason they were having problems with the resurrection message was not because Paul had preached a different message. If he had been preaching a different message, why in the world would he have told them back something that he reminded them of a previous thing that he had given them years prior? So, so this objection you can throw out. The people were being confronted with all type of philosophies there in Corinth. Corinth was like a modern day Las Vegas. Anything go. It was an anything go society. You had you had all these uh, you had all these influences from several different areas coming around. It was because of false philosophies that were coming around that people were beginning to question the resurrection because of other philosophies that were coming in. Paul goes back to the original apostolic message that had been presented that Jesus died for their sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and on the third day he arose as, as according to the scriptures. Okay, so there... Toss out the first one. Second, doesn't matter if the church was claiming as soon as the Acts two Pentecost that Jesus rose from the dead. The early doesn't necessarily imply true. True, it's clear from the fact that false rumors about the apostles couldn't then spread like wildfire within the original Christian church. See Acts twenty one eighteen through twenty four. Now I looked up Acts twenty one eighteen through twenty four. I don't understand what type of rumor he's talking about. It was said that Paul, uh, some people had said that Paul was was uh, uh, Paul was accused of of uh, telling people they didn't have to circumcise. It's because Paul was preaching a gospel of grace. That wasn't a rumor within the Christian church. And in fact, they backed up what Paul was doing. Okay, the, the church was backing up the, what Paul was doing. The problems that Paul was having was not from within the church. It was from outside the church. And so, so he says the option of disagreeing with James and saying this rumor about Paul is true. I don't see what what rumor he's saying James said that this this doesn't make any sense. So I, I think he's grasping at straws here, uh, and maybe I'm misunderstanding the the point he's trying to make here. Uh, well, here I real quickly, and I'm running out of time, but I real quickly read the, read the scripture Acts twenty one. Um. Okay, Acts 21, come on, pages. Acts 21, verses 18 through 24, it says, uh, The following day Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified God and said, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law, but they have been informed about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to abandon Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to our customs. So what is to be done? They will certainly hear that, what you've, what you, that you've come. Therefore, uh, do we not t tell you we have four men who have made a vow? Take these men, purify yourselves among them, and pay for them to get their uh, heads shaved. So in other words, okay, so... This is a Judaizer element in the church that was that was was telling a rumor. So I guess I see what he's talking about the rumor there. So uh, so so there's a rumor by the Judaizers. James did not agree with it. Okay, because see what they said. They glorified God. They heard it. They glorified God and said to see what God was doing. They were merely trying to make amends to to bring peace within the group. So there again, I don't think that's there's any validation that this discredits the creeds. 
Uh, in fact, I, I really don't see, again, I think it's grasping at straws trying to dismiss the creeds because of some type of rumor. that makes no sense. And here we're talking about Jerusalem and the creed was presented at Corinth. It's just, okay. Anyhow, third, Paul obviously disagreed with the Judaizers, which means the Judaizer gospel was sufficiently early as to address its own churches enough to motivate them to abandon Paul's gospel and go the more legalistic route. Again, this has nothing to do with the creeds. The creeds present the most basic gospel message that Jesus died, buried, and was rose, rose again. You're mixing apples and oranges at this stage because the, the, the fundamentals were say, the same within the, Judea, within the Judaizers and within, the, um, within the, the Judaizers and non-Judaizers. The problem with the Judaizers is they wanted to make the law... Um, to hold the law in addition to the grace of God that was shown through Christ. They were becoming a little more legalistic. They wanted to hold on to the old Judaistic ways. Okay, And, and what Paul is saying and what many of the leaders were saying, if, if that's what you want to do, go ahead and do it. Because Paul, he went to temple. And, and Paul uh, kept the festivals. He still kept the festivals. But his, his point was don't, don't require Gentiles to do the same because it's the grace of God that saves through Christ Jesus. So uh, does Habermas, he, he says, argue that the early preaching of the Judaizer gospel argues that it was a true gospel? Again, I'm not going to answer for Dr. Habermas, uh, but I don't think I don't think the question is relevant for the creedal material. Fourth, Paul said he received such a creed, but doesn't he say he doesn't say from whom? From whom? And according to Galatians 1, 1, 11 through 12, he got his revelations by divine telepathy. Here again, I don't know. I think I think this is a stretch by saying divine telepathy. He he saw the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he and he uh, received the early message. But again, understand this: he went to the church three years later in Jerusalem, met with Peter and James for fifteen days, and checked his message with the early church. At that time, as it was the practice of 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 uh, Pharisaical Jews, as it was the practice of early Christians. They would have passed along the early traditions that they received to Paul to present in his preaching. We're not talking about some radical thing. We're talking about common Jewish practice in an early Jewish church. Okay? So fourth, Paul said he received, he, he is passing along the information it was the same information that he had received by divine revelation, but he's passing on to them the information he received from the church. By the way, he's also having to constantly defend his role as an apostle. So if he's just simply going and say, hey, I received this by divine revelation, and it has no connection to the early apostolic church, guess what? They wouldn't have believed him. He is presenting information as he is a master apologist. He is presenting information that he received in Jerusalem that coheres with the divine revelation he received by seeing Jesus on the Damascus, Damascus Road and by having a private visitation, I'm assuming, with Christ during that time. Okay, uh, so if Paul was preaching, he says, the risen Jesus as an early creed, and if Paul thought the creed were reasonable, you'd figure he would admit that it was also by the help of the original apostles and their creed that Paul learned such a creed. That's implied in the language that he received, he's passed on to you. That is Jewish language. Again, this this is not you, this this material is not just something you can just briefly scan over the scriptures and briefly scan over the text and think that you have a magical solution to this. It doesn't work that way. It's deeper than that. Fifth, Paul has credibility problems. I don't agree with that. He admits that 14 years after the fact, he still doesn't know whether he was flying in the sky. Okay, he starts going in a route here with Second Corinthians where Paul has a near-death experience and goes to the third heaven. And he is claiming here that a court of law would drop the charges because he has this mystical experience. Okay, that is, as I was talking with him online, Part of the problem, he is coming from a Humean anti-supernatural bias. Okay, And if you have a Humean anti-supernatural bias, it doesn't matter how much evidence is presented, you're going to throw it out because any, because if you don't believe in God and you say it's impossible for, for God to exist, then you're not going to believe anything uh, that uh, could, could possibly have any connotations with God. 
Okay, so that poses a problem. Okay, so um, in ancient times, while there were skeptics, in ancient times, the issue of the divine was not as big of a of of a, of a sticking point as it is for modern secularists. Okay, sixth, you have that doesn't mean now. Don't take that the wrong way, and don't don't take that and run with it and say, well, they were just gullible and they would accept anything. No, that doesn't mean that at all. In fact, sometimes I think the ancients were probably a lot more a lot more intelligent than we are today. I think they certainly had a lot more common sense than we do today. Sixth, you have to ask yourself whether the skeptical view of the 1 Corinthians 15 creed can be reasonable. I think it is. If it can, then why don't you win the debate by merely showing that Habermas's viewpoint is reasonable? I think I have. Surely you realize that you do not have to prove the other girl's viewpoint unreasonable merely because you can show your own contrary viewpoint to be reasonable. Okay, whatever there. Even courts of law recognize the obvious fact that reasonable people do not always agree on how to weigh and interpret testimony. Okay. But uh, Habermas's view, if reasonable, would not automatically render the skeptical view irrational. Okay, listen, the details are there. Okay, um, <laughs> okay, and he goes on to say you have to show Habermas's interpretation to have greater explanatory scope and power than the skeptical interpretation. I think I have. Consider yourself challenged. I think I was challenged, and I think I have successfully defended the challenge. Uh, so, therefore, I think if any reasonable person who is open to the possibility that God could exist examines the details that have been presented, not only in the early creeds, but also with the evidence for the resurrection, eyewitness testimony. You have over 500 people seeing Jesus live at one time. This happens uh, on, on when several public gatherings. You have one happening in Galilee in Matthew 28. You have another uh, uh, large group gathering together at the Ascension of Jesus. You have a third group sometime at 500 people or more who sees Jesus alive. We're not told when. You see enemies of the faith coming to faith because of Christ. You have embarrassing details like women seeing Jesus alive. Do you need me to go on? Okay. So at some point, at some point when the evidence is there, the problem that you face is not an evidentiary problem. The problem is a presuppositional one. Because if a person has closed their mind to the possibility that this could be true, then no amount of evidence will suffice for that person. But if a person is open-minded enough to accept the possibility that this might be true, then I think the evidence is there, and it's there in force. With that being said, I have reached the, the time limit for the broadcast. I want to thank you. I got a little fired up on this on this dialogue here. All right. But anyhow, I want to thank you for joining us. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. This is Brian Chilton saying God bless, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and BellatorChristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas.